coming up on this week's episode of the Hogbeat Hour, brought to you by Hogbeat.com and Rivals. Arkansas officially finishes the 2020 class off with five transfer additions. The NCAA is considering what is essentially one-time free agency. And the Diamond Hongas are kicking off a four-game series against the Zags. Let's do it. Everybody, welcome to the Hogbeat Hour. I am Nikki Chavanel, and I'm here with Andrew Hutchinson. We are your Hogbeat.com Razorback Insiders. Uh, this podcast is sponsored by CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers. They have locations in both Fayetteville and Russellville. They are sponsoring all of our Hoop Hogs coverage. And what? There's just five regular season games left, and SEC tournament coming up. NCAA hopes, kind of. Dwindling. Dwindling, for sure. But uh, let's start it off with some football talk. Um, Arkansas just officially put the cap on their 2020 class with the latest edition of Xavier Kelly. Um, this year they were only able to sign um, 25. Last year they obviously went over that number. Kind of explain to people how they were able to do that last year <laughs> and why people <laughs> still think that we can get more guys even though we cannot. Yeah, well, you might need to break out a, a pen and paper here to keep track of all this. It's, it's kind of complicated. So uh, the reason they were able to bring in more than 25 last year is because in 2018 they signed a very small class. I think it was maybe only 17 players when you just include high school. Uh, then they also brought in a transfer in Chase Harrell. Uh, that got you up to 18. And then they also had three blue shirt guys they brought in the year before that. Uh, they were uh, Hayden Henry, Ty Clary, and uh, Gary Cross. So those guys counted toward the class. So that still only got you to 21. Well, you're allowed to have 25. So there was four that were left over that they could carry over to the following year, assuming you at least brought in a handful of early enrollees uh, to kind of count back. Uh, it's it's kind of complicated. Basically, they had four that they could carry over. Uh, and that's how they were able to sign, I believe, I, I want to say it was a full class of 25 uh, traditional signees, but they also brought in a handful of transfers, most notably Ben Hicks and Nick Starkle. Uh, so they used the full allotment last year, which meant there were none left over to carry over to 2020, leaving them with just 25. And the thing people sometimes don't realize is that that 25 number includes all transfers, grad transfers and other four-year transfers. Uh, so guys like uh, you know Felipe Franks and Xavier Kelly that you already mentioned, those guys count toward the 25. So a lot of moving pieces, the moving parts that uh, Sam Pittman has had, kind of had to navigate and figure out. What people don't understand as well is that so Arkansas still isn't at their 85 number so the remaining scholarship spots that they have will either have to go to maybe you know like TQ Jackson who entered the portal but could still come back so he could keep his scholarship or they have to give it away to a walk-on and last year that's what they had to do because they had like 20 plus departures which was just absolutely insane so right now there's only two spots um, and 
Also, you have two guys on the team that are projected, you know, big contributors, TJ Hammonds and Luke Jones, and neither of those guys are on scholarship at the moment. But TJ Hammonds, he's almost done with his one year off scholarship. He left the school for a semester, or I think he actually was taking some classes in the Arkansas system, but wasn't, you know, Part with the, the team, team and yeah. all that stuff. And then Luke Jones, the Notre Dame offensive line transfer, Arkansas native. He was not on scholarship last semester, and from what I heard, he's a projected starter, um, could even push for maybe some starting time at center um, instead of Ty Clary, but who knows on that. So those two guys could earn scholarships as well, and they have those two to give. And then, you know, after the spring, guys tend to leave when they kind of see how the depth is shaking out and stuff like that. So. Uh, there could be more spots to give as well. Um, Arkansas taking five transfers. Uh, that's more than the norm. Uh, last year they took more than that, given you know Sam Loy and all those guys and Kendall Catalan. But uh, it seems like the transfer portal is making it easier for these coaches to find and target their players. Um, and then just Arkansas's overall talent level kind of requires them to go out and find guys that are uh, you know, maybe not playing very much at their current location, like Xavier Kelly, who was a four-star um, Rivals 250 guy coming out of high school, picked Clemson over like 30 other programs, but just never really got to do much there because he was probably competing against, you know, some five-stars over there at Clemson. So a lot of opportunity for these guys of, you know, A.J. Reed, Jerry Jacobs, Felipe Franks, Xavier Kelly, and Levi Draper, who do you feel like has the biggest impact next season? Actually, let's cut out Felipe Franks. It doesn't <laughs> That's count. What I was say. He's obviously <laughs> the presumed starter. Unless something goes horribly wrong, I don't really see that changing. But of the other four, who do you think actually impacts the team most in 2020? AJ Reed. He's a kicker. Uh, That's, I think, it may be kind of the safe choice because when you're a kicker, you're going to have an impact on games. And I know Arkansas fans have had recent experience with very good kickers. You know, Connor Limpert just graduated, a most accurate kicker, field goal kicker in Arkansas history. Uh, we're not too far removed from Zach Hawker, the guy who had that record beforehand. Uh, but in between there, Arkansas experienced some pretty bad kicking with guys like, you know, Cole Hedlund didn't pan out and John Henson had some struggles. And, you know, there were some games in there that if Arkansas had been able to make a field goal, they might have won a game. Uh, they might have beaten Texas A&M. They wouldn't have had such a long uh, losing streak against the Aggies. So I, I think bringing in a guy like that that is is very good. You know, he had a very good year at Duke. Uh, so I, I think having him, uh, he's going to make a huge impact. I think the other guys will as well, but it may not be as noticeable. Uh, you know, a guy like Xavier Kelly playing defensive tackle, those guys don't usually – show up in the stat sheet a lot, they can be very effective without get, racking up a bunch of tackles and sacks and things like that. So I, I still think that having a, a dynamite kicker that can make, is dependable on the easy kicks and can even make a, a longer kick every now and then is, is huge for a team, especially when you're you know fighting for every point you can get. Levi Draper is an interesting addition because you know I looked at his snap count numbers, only 25 defensive snaps for Oklahoma. So we're essentially getting a guy with freshman level experience on defense besides you know playing in practice and scrimmages and all that stuff with his snap count but 
you know, looking at the depth of this team, he could very easily come in and start. Um, I don't know who he would beat out, but if you look at the team, there's only, you know, Bumper Poole, um, Grant Morgan, and Hayden Henry that have really played very significant snaps. And then Jerry Jacobs, I'm not sure if he'll immediately start out. Like, I don't know if he'll be able to, you know, come off that ACL injury that he had last season and then immediately be able to beat out someone like Jarquez McClellan, who's had a bunch of experience. But I do think that once he gets used to the speed of the SEC and all that kind of stuff, he could really contribute. And I think also it, he, he adds depth in a position where last year, if you remember, it was a hot topic, you know, especially early in the season. I mean, all the defensive backs were playing 100% of the snaps, or they would get like two snaps off or something like that. I think this allows Arkansas to maybe maybe have a little bit of a rotation, maybe where you're not you know, dead legs by the fourth quarter. Obviously, defensive backs play a high number of snaps anyways, but Arkansas was just, it seemed like they, week in, week out, were playing 100% of the snaps. So I, I think it's a huge addition at least from a depth perspective, because he either he either starts and you have a guy like Jarquez McClellan or Monterrey Brown as uh, rotating guys, or maybe he's the rotating guy and he's had a lot of success uh, at Arkansas State. So it, I think it's, it's a huge addition for the defensive backs room. That room has so much talent that we just don't really know too much about. It's going to be really interesting to see where even the coaches play them. You have three incoming freshmen. Miles Slusher's already here, but you have Nick Turner and Kari Johnson as well. Kind of unknowns. You don't really know how much playing time they're going to get. And then you also have guys like Malik Chavis, who hasn't gotten to showcase much. And then Jalen Catalan, who... Uh, ended up having a shoulder injury, so he couldn't really show what he could do. But I think in his game that he played um, over 20 snaps or maybe 19 snaps, he was doing a pretty good job. So it's exciting that there's a lot of young talent coming in. When we come back, let's, let's continue this discussion because this week there have been a lot of headlines about what I'm calling essentially free agency for uh, these college athletes when we return. This week, the biggest headlines in the NCAA have been about what they are discussing at, I guess, their yearly conference, um, and they're trying to implement something brand new. A lot of people have been talking about hopefully this happening because, and Arkansas knows this from experience, um, it is very you know, murky when someone decides to transfer and applies for immediate eligibility. There is no real clear way to determine whether they're going to get cleared to play immediately. Uh, guys like Tate Martell got cleared to play, and then a guy like Luke Ford, who went, he's a tight end, he went from Georgia to Illinois to go back home. Um, he wasn't cleared to play, um, and then his sick grandpa never got to see him play before he passed away a couple days ago. So that is one scenario that I could see a kind of one-time free, penalty-free transfer rule really helping. Um, I know a lot of fans don't feel like this is going to benefit programs, um, not, you know, at the top. But I, I don't really agree. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that's a little overreaction. I think people react that way anytime there's any type of major change like this. Uh, I, I don't, I think it's going to help, like you said, you know, think about Arkansas basketball this year. Connor Vanover would get cleared, and you wouldn't be like, well, why, why did Connor Vanover not get cleared, but Gabe Saboyan at West Virginia got cleared? Like, that, that doesn't seem fair. 
so I think it kind of clears that up, and, and I think it would help. And you know, you're always going to have, yeah, you may have a, a star player at a school. I, I don't think it's going to happen as often as people think, but you may have a star player at a school like in Arkansas, or even you know maybe an Arkansas State or an SMU or something like that who who transfers. But you you have that already for one in the grad transfer rule, and two. It's not going to happen that much. Your your most of your time, your stars are going to probably stick around, especially at Arkansas. Plus, you get the guys who went to Alabama or went to Clemson as a high four star recruit, like Xavier Kelly, and decide, hey, I I've tried it here. I, I gave it my best shot. It's not going to work out. So let me transfer to maybe somewhere I can play. So it will benefit schools like you know Arkansas or maybe the the, the group of five schools. I am a little concerned because of the mentality of kids these days. You know, they're hyped up so much in high school. Um, they have the stars and all that kind of stuff. They have the attention. And then when they get to campus and they don't play right away, it, it's got to be tough for them because of, you know, just, I don't, I'm not going to say they're soft, but competition. Um, not a lot of kids really want to fight multiple years for a starting spot. So. Um, a lot of people are worried that you won't, like, you put all this time into recruiting a kid and then they're just going to go try their luck somewhere else. And I think that could be a problem, but already a third of college athletes transfer at least once in their career. So how much more can it really go up? 50%? I, I don't know. I just don't know that it would really hurt Arkansas as much as people yeah. think. And the problem you run into there is is more players may need want to transfer, but there there's won't not be spots. always spots. There won't I mean, be spots. We, we talked about earlier with the 25 limit, you know, transfers count toward that. Arkansas, you know, there's limits. There's only a finite number of spots. So it, it's it's very, very challenging uh, each year for, for programs to balance the whole, you know, high school kids bringing them in versus landing a transfer. And so eventually these kids are going to have to realize, hey, maybe I should stick it out more than a year at a, at a place, even if I didn't get the instant gratification uh, of playing immediately. I'm trying to look it up as fast as you're typing, but there are, one second, there are currently over a thousand FBS football players in the transfer portal, um, and I think I can look this up. Only 240 of them have matriculated or landed at a new location. That's a very small percentage. So it's a real gamble if you decide to transfer. Um, another issue with it is tampering. I don't know how well it's policed now, but it would be have it would have to be policed much tougher um, because, as you know, you know, like the top recruits in the nation, they have. 40 plus offers that means a ton of coaches have their contact info it would be very easy to keep tr like tabs on those guys that you maybe once liked and then you know wanted to see how they were doing in their career and then you just go and hit them up i don't know how you police that and it's very very tough and a lot of people think that well the guys that already get away with cheating are just going to continue to get away with it everyone's cheating I mean, that's the thing. Every, your school, whether it's Arkansas or anywhere, there is some sort of bending the rules. It may not be as upfront, you know, it may not be, you know, SMU Pony Express type cheating, uh, but, but it may not be Ole Miss level cheating that we've seen in recent years. But there, it's, it's happening everywhere. There's all sorts of, 
you know, tampering. That that happens now, I feel like, because you can easily call up a recruit and say, hey, you might might try out that transfer portal. You, you might like what, what you get. So I, I think it happens already. So I, I think any type of concern about that might be a little bit, uh, I'd say, overblown. Um, another thing that they're thinking of adding to that one-time penalty-free transfer is um, setting the cap for initial transfers at 30 a class, but over two cycles you can only do 50. So one cycle you can do 30 right and then the other you do 20 or something like that so at least it gives you the opportunity if one year you do need to sign a bunch of transfers to maybe make your program a little bit better do you think that makes much of a difference not really I, I really think that transfers at least I think grad transfers that should be another benefit for grad transfers like hey you've already got your degree you've either gotten it in three years and have you know multiple years to play you've you regardless you've gotten your degree while playing college football at the highest level that should be commended so I, I think that you, that those guys in my personal opinion should not count against the 25 I think the 25 should be you know if you've got if you're bringing in guys who maybe haven't graduated obviously you wouldn't have the, the sit out rule anymore if, if this comes to fruition like it sounds like it will you you have to be graduated to be not counting as 25, or maybe if you haven't, then have that count. I think that would be a good compromise, but, you know, no one asked me. I'm kind of, you know, more progressive, I guess, in my views on this, because I do think players should get some kind of compensation. I don't know how it would work and all that kinds of stuff, but I think in a system that so heavily favors the programs and the coaches and all that kind of stuff, Anything you can do to make it a little bit better for the athlete is a positive in my book because they are working very hard putting their health on the line to make a lot of money for these universities. And I feel like if you feel like the school just wasn't a good fit, I think it should be okay for them to move on. Um, you hope that they made the decision initially for all the right reasons. They love the coaching staff, they love the program, they love the academics they can receive, all that kind of stuff. But if they really don't, then I think they should be able to transfer just kind of like any other regular student because that's what they are first and foremost according to the NCAA. Exactly. I mean, most a lot of kids transfer. I mean, my wife, you know, started out at one school and ended up at Arkansas. So I mean, it, it a lot of students transfer might as well open it up and, and let them do it because they're they're transferring already and you've already got the hit and miss <laughs> approval of waivers already and I think it would just make make things a lot easier and simpler if, if this thing kind of passed all right guys when we come back it's a long uh, baseball series coming up we are going to preview a little bit, and then later on the show, I'll kind of try to recap what happened in game one, because by the time you listen to this, I think it'll be at least almost over. So stay tuned on the Hogbeat Hour. Hey everybody, we are back on the Hogbeat Hour just want to do a little, a couple plugs. First of all, on Hogbeat, you can get 30 days free anytime with code HAWGS30. That's HOGS30. You can get 30 days free to try us out, follow along in our game threads, read all the coverage, 
interact on the message board. I mean, it's constantly going, tons of new topics all the time. If you like talking about food in Arkansas, we do that all the time too. And speaking of food in Arkansas, uh, our hoop hog coverage is brought to you by CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers. Uh, they are located in Fayetteville and Russellville. Hutch, what's your favorite part about CJ's? Well, they got really good burgers. And, <laughs> Plain and simple. And the fries are good as well. All right, you heard him. Um, <laughs> so Arkansas has five games left. They just came off a loss to Florida on the road. Wasn't a surprise. They'd lost, I don't know how many straight at Gainesville, but they hadn't won since 95. So wasn't expecting too much. But I did get a little excited at the beginning of the game when Kerry Blackshear picked up two early fouls and had to go to the bench and he picked up a third I think a little later and had to stay on the bench he finished the game um, with only 12 minutes I thought that really gave Arkansas a chance but got themselves in an early hole got back out them kind of back in at the end of the game so what are they now 16 and 10 it's not great what do your projections say for you know how the season could wrap up well, I think the most likely per, uh, finish over these last uh, five games, according to the ESPN Basketball Power Index, is, is a 4-1 and one finish. Uh, the most logical loss in that mix would be LSU because they come to Bud Walton Arena. They're, uh, but they're, they're kind of reeling a little bit. They, they've fallen out of first place. Uh, so, so who knows? I mean, it, and it's not too much of a stretch to say they win all five. I mean, I think that's got like a 14 15% chance of happening on the BPI, and that – that also doesn't take into the fact that maybe Isaiah Joe comes back. And if he comes back, maybe they get back into a groove and, and rally. And, you know, but I, it, regardless, I think if they're going to make the NCAA tournament, I, I feel like they need to win all five games. I, I really do that or make a heck of a run at the SEC tournament. How many games would they have to win the SEC tournament? Like two, three? Well, if they, if they win all five uh, to end the season, that would get them to 21 wins. Maybe one win in the SEC tournament just to be safe. Mm -hmm. I think that would be enough to get them in. If they do not win all five, if they lose to LSU, or if they suffer a really bad loss to either a Missouri or Tennessee, Georgia, Texas A&M, then they're maybe have to make it to the semis in the SEC tournament. So, and, and it's not going to be easy either because at that point you're going to finish really low in the standings, not get a great seating, you're not going to get a bye. Uh, so it, it could, it's going to be an uphill battle for Arkansas if they don't win all five. I think that's their, their easiest and best path. Obviously, it's been a, a tough stretch for the Razorbacks, but I've kind of liked Eric Musselman's approach. Um, he's, he just keeps telling us that the team is fighting as hard as they can. He doesn't get too negative on them. He kind of knows. I mean, he's known since, you know, before the season what he's had to – play with the players essentially um and so he's stayed upbeat um I know some people don't necessarily love his uh, demeanor on the court these days like occasionally you'll catch him just kind of sitting down maybe head in hands for a couple seconds but overall he's very proud of what this team has been able to do despite all the shortcomings that they've had <laughs> being short yeah. <laughs> um on the flip side, like Will Wade at LSU, I saw his post-game press conference the other day, and he goes, if I could play other guys, I would be playing them. <laughs> and, and that's, that's you know, it's fr frustrating, obviously. He said his guys were making the same mistakes over and over again. But that kind of statement, 
I don't know if that's really what you want to hear from a coach, but maybe that's kind of a motivating tactic to just get his guys better. But um, Arkansas is about to get Isaiah Joe back. How big of an impact do you think that could have? Well, I think it's going to all depend on how healthy he is. If, if he truly is back, then it's humongous. I mean, he, he is the one of the best players on the team, one of the best players in the conference uh, when he's healthy. Obviously, we saw what he looked like when he wasn't healthy. A very ineffective, almost a liability in the Alabama game. And I think that's why some people said, oh, well, Arkansas is better without Isaiah Joe. No, they're better without a hurt Isaiah Joe. They are much better, much, much, much better with a healthy Isaiah Joe. And I think that that would uh, kind of give them a, a, a necessary boost. It would help out Mason Jones. He wouldn't have to go out and try to score 30 every night. Uh, it would help out. Would still like him to go out and yeah. try to score. Exactly, exactly. That'd be great. Cause be much easier add, for him to do. Add in another 15 or 20 from Isaiah Joe, and then boom, you, you start winning games. And I think it would I would think it would benefit Jimmy Whitt. It would space out the floor a little bit, let Jimmy Whitt kind of do his thing in yeah, the Yeah, he interior. can't get to his spots exactly. as much these days, and that's unfortunate because he's pretty money. <laughs> exactly. So I, I think getting him back would, would be huge, but I'm not about to sit here and say, well, once he gets back, Arkansas is going to go 5-0. I think that's a little bit of a stretch, especially since he's got to get his conditioning back. He hadn't played for a couple of weeks. He's he's probably not going to give you the 30 minutes he was giving you uh, before he got hurt. I mean, I think if he can just come back and give you 15, 18, something like that on, on Saturday against Missouri, that would be that would be great. A big problem against Florida and against a lot of these SEC teams that just are physical and athletic and all that kinds of stuff, Eric Musselman has been harping on this lateral foot speed. Without Isaiah Joe in there, you're putting John Talcillo, Reggie Chaney, Ethan Henderson, all guys that aren't exactly, you know, really quick movers. So you get beat. Um, Keontae Johnson, he scored 24 points, only taking seven shots and making four, got to the line, took 17 free throws, made 15 of them. So because they couldn't keep him in front of them they had to foul him and as long as Isaiah Joe's on the court I don't think that happens uh, but hopefully you get him back on Saturday with Missouri coming up um, what do you remember about that first Missouri matchup they lost that one right yes they lost yeah. at Columbia I remember Arkansas not even getting an official field goal until about four minutes into the game but you were holding your breath that whole time the Desi Sills finally got a shot off um, and made a three-pointer uh, but anytime you start a game four minutes without taking a shot that is that is concerning. It was another one of those games, and maybe it was the first one where it was this stri long stretch of games where they've gotten off to just horrible starts. Uh, they dig themselves a big hole, and they have to fight and work really, really hard to dig out of that hole, and then they just run out of gas and they can't get it done. I believe, was this one of the games they lost in overtime? Uh, uh, maybe. I think it was. <laughs> I think, yeah, because I think they lost to Auburn and Missouri back-to-back -back in overtime. Yes. Uh, so it was... It, a tough loss, and that was one where you start going, oh boy, uh, you know, because they, they played so hard and so well against Auburn, which is a top 25 team, and then they go on the road and lay an egg against Missouri. That, that was when you start going, oh, well, maybe, maybe they aren't going to make the NCAA tournament. So they, they would really like to be able to, to pay them back and, and get the win on Saturday. I don't think you did a game-by-game -game breakdown quite like you did for baseball, like predicting the season for basketball but you did say this was an NIT team right 
Yeah, I said at best right. it's an NIT team. I did not think there was any chance that they would make it to the NCAA tournament. And <laughs> they, I was starting to think they were going to prove me wrong there for a little bit. So, yeah, Arkansas welcomes Missouri on Saturday. Um, I think that game is probably at noon. Yes, it is at noon. It's at noon on the SEC Network, so catch that. We will have your live updates on the trough and lots of live commentary, which is always fun. Um, thanks, CJ's Butcher Boys. We are about to move on to a baseball talk, so stay with us. We're going to preview the rest of this series and kind of give you a recap of how game one is going or how it went if it's already over. Stay tuned. Welcome back, Hogbeat Hour. Loyal listeners, I'm Nikki Chavanel here with Andrew Hutchinson. Um, Arkansas began the first game of a four-game series against Gonzaga. Um, Hutch, just real quick before you head out to game one, um, what are the threats with Gonzaga? Do you feel like Arkansas could sweep this one again? It's a four-game series, so a sweep is, is not exactly easy, especially when you're playing a team like Gonzaga, which has a quality uh, baseball program. Everyone knows them for being a basketball power, but uh, very good at baseball as well. Got a longtime coach uh, who's been there. I believe this is a like 17th 17, season. Yeah, yeah. so he, he'd been around a while, almost as long as Van Horn. Uh, he's, he's, Gonzaga has played well against Arkansas, actually won four straight against the Hogs. Uh, I think the most recently in 2016. I remember a couple of games in 2015 before Arkansas really turned it on and made it to the College World Series that year. Uh, so a sweep would be phenomenal. That's also if they get all four games in. Uh, the weather this weekend does not look great. I would be shocked if they play a game on Sunday. I would. I'm totally expecting to see an email pop up anytime. <laughs> about Arkansas playing a doubleheader, a doubleheader on Friday. That seems to be the most likely situation, but hasn't happened yet, so who knows? So stay tuned. Uh, but it is going to be a challenge. They've got some good pitching. They've got a preseason All-American in Alec uh, Jacob, who uh, was even a first-team all preseason All-American by one publication, had a really good year last year, didn't exactly look great uh, against, uh, I guess it was Oregon State last weekend. Uh, he is a guy that uh, you gotta you gotta be patient with him because he's he's a little bit wild. He'll walk you if if you let him, but uh, don't don't be swinging early in the count because opponents only hit like 200 against him. So uh, pretty good if he's on, not if he's not. So uh, but they also have another left-hander. I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he's the guy who's going to be pitching on Friday. Uh, he is senior. Yes, he's a senior. He had a really good outing against BYU, a quality BYU team, six scoreless. Uh, so he's he's kind of the guy I'm a little bit concerned with. Uh, and as long as Arkansas has good play, play discipline against Jacob, I think they'll be okay. So, uh, but other than that, you know, offensively they've got a few guys that have got off to really good starts, but as a team, they did not exactly hit the ball well out in Arizona this first weekend of the season. So I like Arkansas' chances for sure. Um, Arkansas is starting Cole Ramage. It's his fifth start, right? Career. Career, fifth start. Um, we got Connor Nolan for Friday, uh, Wicklander for Saturday, and then TBA for Sunday. How does it work if they move the Sunday game to Friday? Do they move Wicklander up, or 
does it stay in the order that it's in? I was thinking about this earlier in the day uh, and wondering how what they would do. I would assume they would keep Wicklander on Saturday because the whole whole reason for having Nolan pitch on Friday and Wicklander pitch Saturday with Ramage getting game one was to keep Nolan and Wicklander on their days to keep them on normal rest. So I don't think Van Horn would change that at all, especially now since the forecast looks okay for Saturday that they're going to play. So Wicklander will get the pitch. Uh, I bet they would they would start somebody else for that the second game on Friday. Give Nolan game one of the doubleheader, and then someone else, whether it be a, a Kevin Copps, a Caleb Bolden, someone like that. I would see uh, maybe getting not Blake Adams. Well, Blake Adams is another possibility, but he would be pitching on short rest, short yeah. rest, a couple of days short rest. So, but he would be a guy that would be available out of the bullpen. Maybe you just try to piece it together. You get. Maybe get three innings out of Cops, three innings out of Adams, and three innings out of Bolden or something, uh, sprinkling some other guys. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, but Dave Van Horn, I, I have the utmost confidence that he'll he'll know what to do. All right. Well, I'm going to let you run off to game one of the series, and uh, I will recap, hopefully, game one in a few minutes. Did you guys like that? That was my little time machine effect. Um, Hutch is gone, but the game just ended. Arkansas won in nine innings, 7-5 to five against Gonzaga. To start the game, there was a 12-14 to 14 miles per hour wind blowing out to the right field, which we assume was a great recipe for success for Heston Kerstad. It was a very nice sunny day for that 2 p.m. first pitch, but it was a very brisk 39 degrees for the few fans. I think it was over, just over a thousand fans scanned their tickets today at Baumwalker. The lineup coming into the game was as expected. Christian Franklin did move down the order, however, going from the two hole to the five hole. Um, that move gave Arkansas a little bit more speed in the middle of the order, and Casey Martin who was intentionally walked three times last week, and it protects him a little bit more. To give you guys the quick play-by-play of what went down in tonight's series, in case uh, you missed it because of work or whatever, um, to start the first, the Bulldogs had runners on second and third, but Cole Ramage got out of the jam unscathed, striking out Gabriel Hughes to end the first inning. A two-out rally by the Razorbacks in the second inning was capped by Robert Moore's Bases loaded, double scoring two. They did strand runners on second and third, though, um, when Braden Webb grounded out to the shortstop. At the top of the third, Gonzaga quickly erased Arkansas's lead. Ramage walked the leadoff man, and then Brett Harris, took it, taking advantage of that right field win, got a fly ball up out over the right field bullpen for a two-run home run to tie the game. At the bottom of the third, Arkansas, bases loaded, one out. Jacob Nesbitt hit a soft grounder to second for an RBI ground out to put the Razorbacks back on top. It seemed like that would be it, but Gonzaga couldn't track down the high pop-up by Opitz. It falls in the center for a two-run double. At the top of the fourth, Gonzaga adds one on. Mason Marenko led off the inning with a stand-up triple and then scored on Josh Briston's ground out. Top of the fifth, Gonzaga comes back to tie it up. Back-to-back doubles by Ryan Sullivan and Hughes puts Gonzaga back within one. An infield single by Stephen Lund put the runners on the corners, and the Bulldogs tied it up off Mokhtal's RBI ground ground out. The potential go-ahead run was stranded on second. 
At the bottom of the seventh, Arkansas gets that lead back. With the bases loaded and one out, the Bulldogs nearly escaped the jam with a double play, but Franklin beat out the throw at first. That made it an RBI fielder's choice, ground out to give the Razorbacks the lead. The very next pitch was wild, allowing Goodhart to score and put them up by two. The final, Arkansas 7, Gonzaga 5. The Bulldogs stranded the tying runs on base as Zebulon Vermillion picked up the Razorbacks' first save of the season. Arkansas plays again, of course, tomorrow with Connor Nolan on the mound. And like Hutch said earlier in the show, it could be a doubleheader. After Cole Ramage and Cops left the mound, Dave Van Horn brought in Caden Monk, the sophomore left, left-handed pitcher, and he ended up getting the win and uh, he only made six appearances last year as a freshman, all in non-conference play. It's a big, big weekend on the hill for Razorback sports. Obviously, there's still three more games in, left in this Gonzaga series. Um, Arkansas plays Tennessee tonight, Thursday night. Um, and we've got a lot of softball going on, as well as a women's empowerment meet between Arkansas and Auburn this weekend as well for the Jim Hogs. Since I have you guys here for a few more minutes, I am going to take you guys through a little bit of recruiting coverage, and I'm going to be talking about the Arkansas quarterback targets because that is obviously, you know, one of the hottest topics in recruiting, who Arkansas is going to get as the next great future Razorback quarterback. Arkansas has targeted nine 2021 quarterbacks so far, six of them in the state of Texas, Two of those six are already committed to other programs. Demetrius Davis to Virginia Tech and Jalen Milrow to Texas. One guy I really like, Garrett Nussmeyer, who is planning to visit this spring. He's from Flower Mound, Marcus, 6'2", 182. He is the sixth-ranked pro-style quarterback in the nation and the number 14-ranked player coming out of Texas this class. So, uh, pretty big-time prospect. He's got 20-plus offers already. Biggest threats here are pretty much LSU and Georgia. He's got a 66.8 completion rate, and he racked up almost 3,800 yards as a junior. Um, Caden Salter, a lot of people are excited about this guy. I know 247 just ranked him the number one quarterback in the state of Texas. He's not quite that high on rivals, but he's still a top 75 player coming out of the state of Texas in 2021, and he's very likely to continue to move up. He's visited almost every major program in Texas. Uh, he won a state title for Cedar Hill. Um, I mean, he is a top target for sure for the Razorbacks, but... Uh, Cedar Hill was previously coached by Joey McGuire, who is now the Baylor assistant head coach. So the Bears are very strong here as well. He's already set a visit this spring to Ole Miss, too. He said he wants to get to Arkansas, so look out for that visit as well. Another guy I really like, Kyron Drones, Houston Jr. He's in the midst of his kind of blow-up phase. He's still getting offers rolling in daily since his state championship season with Shadow Creek down in Houston, Texas, he put up over 34,000 yards passing and 820 yards rushing for more than 60 touchdowns as a junior. So dual threat guy for sure. He's still low in the rankings as his recruitment is still picking up steam, but uh, very excited. I'm pretty sure he's um, competing down at the Houston Rivals camp this weekend. Unfortunately, I won't be there, but 
Uh, he's likely to continue to bring in more offers after how he performs at that camp, and he'll probably improve his stock as well. His early offers include Arkansas, Missouri, and Houston, and he just added Auburn, of course. Chad Morris seems to be keeping tabs on who Arkansas is offering, although, you know, he's one of the top prospects in the state of Texas, so not a surprise there. Um, He's also got an Ole Miss offer, and he's planning to visit um, Auburn already. He's working on a date to visit Arkansas with his dad, is what he told me. Um, The latest offer out to a Texas quarterback is um, Sawyer Robertson. He is from Lubbock. He's a three-star pro-style quarterback, and he's ranked ninth. um, He's ranked sixth in Texas. Nope. He's ranked ninth in the um, rivals pro-style rankings, but eighth in the state of Texas in passing yards this past season. Um, He had 3,900 yards in his junior season with 50 touchdowns and a 63% completion percentage. He goes to Lubbock Coronado High School, and they went 7-5, losing to Denton Ryan in the playoffs. Um, He's got 16 Division I offers, including Texas, Florida State, Mississippi State, and plenty more. Um, Luckily for Arkansas, if they're really seriously considering him, um, Texas Tech, the hometown team, won't be a problem. They already have a 2021 quarterback committed. Uh, There are two quarterbacks out in Georgia. Uh, One of them has already cut his list down to a bunch of schools out west, and then also uh, Georgia and Yale and Michigan. So it's going to be interesting to see where he lands, but probably out west. And then um, got Peter Costelli, Mission Viejo pro-style quarterback. He's got 12 other offers on top of Arkansas, and he's mostly been visiting schools out west as well, like Utah, Oregon, and Stanford. Um, Last guy, Colton Gautier. I don't know how he says his name, but I'm saying it like, like he's French. He's 6'3", 205, also pro-style, so not exactly the right fit for Kendall Bryles' offense, but very talented. He's got offers from Louisville, Missouri, Ole Miss, visited Clemson as well, Um, the Georgia native. uh, South Carolina led for him, um, but uh, the latest picks are in for him to Ole Miss. So um, don't know if he's going to visit Arkansas yet, but a lot of great options out there, especially in Texas for the 2021 class. And Given Kendall Browell's experience recruiting in the area, Arkansas should get a pretty good one for 2021 to follow up K.J. Jefferson and Malik Hornsby. All right, guys, that's it from me and Hogbeat. Um, You can go subscribe, get 30 days free with code HOGS30 anytime. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night.